0: which is crazy because he got in a full fist fight in the first minute of the game. Uh, But hey, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. All right. Uh, Welcome, everyone, uh, to the latest episode of Let's Do That Hockey podcast. Uh, I am joined by a very special guest today, uh, Brock McGillis, uh, uh, former OHL goalie, so part of the Goalie Guild, uh, like myself, Uh, and uh, the first openly gay uh, professional uh, hockey player. um, Brock, uh, such a pleasure to
1: have you on today. How? how's everything going? It's going. It's uh, I mean we're still in the middle of covid and it's uh, but it's like uh, really nice outside and it's it's a beautiful day and it's friday so i can't complain. It's a good there you day. Go. Uh, any I
0: know you're Canadian but any plans on like 4th of july
1: weekend or well we just had our um, canada day is yeah. july 1st so yeah. we just had that and it was a wednesday so i think most people are taking long weekends this weekend okay. um i'm just uh i'm just chilling i don't know i'm, I'm working on a bunch of projects right now so i'm right. I, i'm trying to get them finished and off my plate so i can <laughs> maybe take a week off at some point so I'm, I'm just gonna work on that stuff maybe you know go sit in a, a park or Something socially distanced, or right. um, I just got a puppy, so oh I awesome, take her out and kind of <laughs> chill. Yeah,
0: what about you? uh it's similar. Uh, you know, it's obviously very weird to try to you know celebrate uh, during COVID, uh, and you know, so I would love to see family and friends. I sort of limited by that, you know, with the quarantine going on, um, and then. Uh, Similar to a puppy, I have a, I have a newborn daughter, so she's sort of dictating the schedule for everything. Um, so Congratulations. <laughs> uh, hopefully she'll allow us to get through uh, uh, this recording. If not, she'll make a special guest appearance, but uh, but but it's uh, but it's been fun regardless. But but no, I, um, I'm i actually taking the time uh, that I have in terms of bonding with her and her me leave and diving into, you know, hockey and, and you know, wrestling up some... Uh, some old topics that i uh, sort of left follow over the past couple of months that i you know i think need some talking about which is why i wanted to reach out to you i sort of you know you know put a shot in the dark last night uh, on twitter and you know i told people uh this i haven't recorded a podcast since uh march or so um with uh, one of the guy uh, guys helping to run the national women's uh, hockey league um and hadn't recorded it since then and i told you know, my friends and people who have been asking about it. I wanted to I wanted to sort of hold myself accountable to give space to the voices that aren't as often heard in hockey. you know uh, you know I have a lot of great friends, people who work on teams who played the sport, so on and so forth was continuing continuously giving them voices to the same people so the same demographics over time. And I felt that with this podcast in particular, I was going to make it that it was important for me to reach out to voices that brought a new perspective and, and brought something else to hockey, and so I think you know just following you over the past couple a couple of weeks and a couple of months, I'm um, just seeing all the work that you've been doing. I was like, oh yeah, I definitely have to see if Brock will you know accept my invitation, and uh, very happy to have you on. Uh, uh, and, and so the segue into that, you know, we uh, at the time of this recording we're just wrapping up uh, the month of June, uh, which uh, as you all may know is Pride Month. Um, so, uh, very busy time for you. Um, just, you know, walk us, you
1: know, quickly through like the whirlwind of like the past, like 30 days for you. Oh gosh. Well, it's (laughs) different than usual. I mean, like if I look at last year, I was, um, I was still running, like I ran hockey businesses on top of my advocacy and speaking and whatnot. I had two businesses I would do, um, off ice training. I had an off ice training business where I worked with a hundred hockey players daily mm-hmm. and I had an on ice, uh, skill development business. So I was doing that last year plus traveling through the month of June. I would go like, um, like I was speaking three days a week, at least oh, at wow. different places across like North America. I spent a week filming, uh, a, a digital, uh, TV series I have, in uh with world of wonder who does like rupaul's drag race um so i have a show with them and we were filming in la um during pride and i remember like spoke at like a toyota dealership on a thursday (laughs) friday did a pride event in toronto and a podcast then saturday flew to la Spent a week filming out there, then flew to New York Pride from LA and like it was World Pride. and <laughs> I, I was speaking on a stage with Richard Branson and, yeah. and Billy Porter at World Pride and, and then in the parade and like partying at night and <laughs> it, was, it was just chaos. And then this year I've been doing some things like I started um, an, like an IGTV series called yeah. The Gratitude List. Where I'd bring on guests and, and just share gratitude they have for sure. like things in their life and you know how how like just learn more about their lives and, and so I was working on that and um, I've been doing some campaigns for a couple of corporates and, mm-hmm. and doing some you know uh, online speaking things here and there right. and, and a lot of media because hockey culture decided to explode. Uh, through the month so uh it's there's been a lot of that but it's been very and oh and i ran a a digital drag event to raise money for covid relief um for queer yeah people in in the uh in the arts and in like the entertainment world because like um, a lot of queer people especially the gay community ends up working in like nightlife Yes. Um, They work in, because like that's some of our first spaces that are, you know, safe for us. Yes. Um, But they're all out of work and there's no guarantee when these bars are going to actually like reopen fully. So like the entertainers, the drag queens and then the the bartenders and whatnot and different performers of all kinds are out of work and will be for a while. So uh, I ran an event and we raised like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars and like a, like we did it in a week's time and put it on so it was really cool and um, yeah so it's, it's been a little different it's not as whirlwind as you know I'm used to it's <laughs> been kind of chill and I'm at home a lot but yeah. it's uh, nonetheless it's still been fun and, and I've had a good time with it.
0: No uh, yeah I um, I used to say the same thing uh, for Willie O'Ree uh, during February, and you know I would see oh my god him at he at an LA Kings game, and then somehow across a, uh, a continent at an Ottawa Senators game, and like the same night, I'm like, how is this like one, you know, octogenarian at like. Five different events in the same week. Oh, I guess Travel Scout is probably not uh, in his best interest, but I mean, he has like an, a balanced energy for. Yeah. Um, how old yeah. is
1: Willie? Uh, I yeah. want to say he's 84, 85 now. At this My point. goodness. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's wild.
0: It's but, absolutely like, insane. But I think one of the things that was always disappointing to me about that was just like the burden on him as sort of being the representative in the face of diversity for hockey and sort of having to sort of be out in front of the particular set of issues because there was no one else that wanted really point to, to talk to them and I think that puts a lot of pressure and onus on him to sort of do that and I'm like that's ridiculous and you start to see that burden sort of spread out a little bit more but uh, I feel like the sort of same thing happens during, in, in June where you know individuals such as yourself uh, and a lot of the other individuals who have spoken at, out about these types of issues in the sport uh, this is like the one month where uh, attention is being paid to those issues but you know, when we talk about November or something like that, like, you know, well, hockey's back on and, you know, let's like focus on the ice stuff. Um, and, and I think that creates just a, a, you know, it sort of perpetuates what's already happening. So you sort of alluded to a lot of the stuff that came out, uh, you know, particularly around uh, the culture in like junior hockey and uh, as well as the sort of larger social issues that hockey has not been a part of those conversations. Uh, you know, what particular, or if anything has surprised you about sort of what has transpired in the past month in regards to sort of hockey reevaluating itself and looking inward,
1: I think what has um, not a lot surprises me with hockey um, in terms of uh, what happens and the stories that come out. I think what is and, and even this doesn't surprise me, but what I've been happy with is seeing through the Black Lives Matter movement, um, so many players, uh, finally, the issue has been humanized for them. You know, I, I think because it's such an insular bubble, the hockey world, more so than any other sport, and I can get into that if you want, but just on the surface, it's, it's more insular than any other sport. And because of that they're not really aware of social issues right so but i've always been of the belief that if you recognize what the issues are and then have people to humanize it for them through lived experiences right. then they will be more willing and this is anyone in the world more willing to be educated on it right and, and- Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, just And and I think we saw that where players... Um, one thing I've noticed this month is players openly talking about their privilege right. and recognizing racial injustices that exist. And, you know, it would have been cool if education was in place for them already so that yeah. now it could be, boom, here, look. Yeah. Um, and it isn't, and that's a failure on leagues and the culture and the system the hockey fabric all together um but for the players to finally you know it didn't surprise me but i've been happy with that that they've seen that oh shit here's an issue right and and it's like okay good because it proves that if you humanize things they will be willing to learn more yeah yeah although i will say you know um
0: uh, because I've had the same thought. I've been very happy to see, you know, players are, across the board step up, you know, from various teams and organizations. I've not spoken out on issues like this before, and I think it's a combination of, you know, COVID-19 sort of forcing everyone to, you know, you have nothing else to do but inform yourself on the issues, uh, and sort of forcing everyone to do this. Um, the protests sort of being, you know, uh, uh, you know, in a way that they are organized and sort of galvanized, you know, people to sort of see uh how strident this issue of like you know police interactions with people of color you know with the george floyd video and stuff is like a perfect storm of things
1: it's on the other overt context,
0: it's in your face You right. have choice. well on the other side of that i also think like you know when i look at a player like jc brown who has been very adamant about speaking about these issues uh particularly in the black community for years now um in support of like colin kaepernick and so on and so forth and sort of being the only voice in hockey sort of speaking to these issues and only having this perfect storm of events happen where other people are sort of coming along board is like, well, when we look two or three years from now, you know, even six months from now, will it take a similar confluence of events to keep people sort of in this sort of moment of consciousness, or will this be something that carries through? Now, and I guess it's a similar question in terms of the uh, things that, you know, you're bringing uh, uh, education to. Uh, do you see that sort of similar, like, needing to sort of push people out of their comfort zone uh, or, or, or is that something that can happen a
1: little bit more organically without this world changing, changing a bit, happening? I don't think it can happen organically because I don't think this culture will ever enable that to happen. It's uh, there's too many gatekeepers at every level of it, including the NHL, to allow the shifts to happen organically. Right. I, I think, um, I've been inspired in my activism from the Black Lives Matter movement in the past month and and how I engage and and i am been far more visibly critical and far louder than I'd ever been in the past because um, I'm still a product of that hockey culture where right. it's head down say nothing and you know just keep digging at it and it'll eventually pay off right. and it's like well n- maybe but I also know all the kids are coming to me that you know are suicidal and I yeah. know all the kids that are struggling and, and and I see and hear and the racism and whatnot. Um I think I think, you know, in terms of it, it's difficult because the, the JT Brown situation is something that unless you're on his team and he's talking about and I don't know if he was or wasn't in the locker room and really humanizing it for right. them, that they're seeing this act kinda like Kaepernick kneeling his fist up in the air yeah. as without having any understanding or context.
0: Right.
1: You know what I mean? So I think it was difficult for them to understand it. Whereas now and again, I think because of COVID and how over these protests have been and um, they've had no choice but to understand it. Like the first time I, I engaged with JT the first thing I said to him is when I saw you do that, that gave me chills. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I think it yeah. was the one of the most courageous things I've ever seen in hockey. Yeah. And and to to stand there as a black man and raise your fist in the air in the whitest sport in the world right. is like wow. That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful when when the league and everything else is anti protest or anti anything and you're <laughs> you're putting yourself out there like that is just so bold and powerful. And it, it was courageous. It, 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 there's a lot of courage there. Um, but I think it's it's shifted uh, the way I do some of my stuff in being a little more overt and pushing a narrative that is not you know, like I used to talk a lot about and I still do language, the importance wow. of language, right? because I think that's the easiest shift we can make. Yes, like quickly. A quick shift is don't use homophobic language, don't use racist language, don't use sexist language. Like, there's three things right there that you can easily shift in your daily. Boom. You know, like, uh, simple ones. But now it's, it's, and I talk about forms of language, like direct language, indirect language. Uh, I would talk about laughter, body language. Yeah. But another one I've added now is silence. Yeah. Because silence is deafening. Right. And, and I haven't really spoken about this. Uh, this is the first podcast I've talked about this on. Um, uh, being silent is being complicit.
0: Right.
1: And and there's something that, again, I've taken away from Black Lives Matter, and I've been really studying it because I think as, you know, there's some intersectionality between, you know, obviously as the oppression of a black person is very different and and, than, you know oppression i've experienced but there's there's some commonalities in right. oppression right um and one thing uh, i've really taken away on top of the you know realizing that like performative allyship is the, being anti right it's not enough to just be um not racist right you have to be anti-racism and the same thing with homophobia Right. It's not enough, and this is what we have to teach these players. So we have to get people to go around those locker rooms and and humanize it, and then we have to get them to a point where they're anti-racism, anti-sexism, anti-homophobia, you know? And and at that point, we will see authentic shifts. Right. And and in my opinion, that's the only way that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and 100% agree. I actually wrote an article uh, not for, I wrote an article about J.C. Brown raising his fist uh, a few years ago, but it, exactly to your point, I think it was with the uh, uh, was, hockey is for everyone. Some, it's, something happens is like 2007. There's something that happens every year, so I, it all runs together. But specifically, I think I was talking about the HB2 law um, in North Carolina, and uh, you know the NBA was going to have their all-star game in Charlotte that year, and they pulled out. Um, and the NHL was you know, of course very silent on that, and I said that's sounds like uh because you can't say hockey is for everyone uh but then continue to allow these events to happen on a regular basis
1: within your sport and have a pride night and have you know and that's where i call it again performative allyship it's pandering to an audience that you can sell merchandise to right you know you can create a pride night t-shirt for three dollars and sell it for 40. correct and and they do right they all sell them what are you doing to enhance the lives of the community you're profiting off of what are you doing to make the sport inclusive for everyone so that queer kid doesn't quit because he's being bullied or harassed or um you know like doesn't try and kill themselves right like what are you doing to actually shift the culture so it is inclusive and i haven't seen anything yeah yeah and and i and i think that's the other part of it that performative allyship is you know,
0: it's not just the NHL, but I think the NHL, you know, one, you know, it's obviously a sport that you know you are very heavily invested in as a high-level athlete in it. And for me, as a person who's been trying to break down those doors uh, for people uh, of all of all backgrounds, I, I think it's important to call those things out, as you said. I think one of the reasons why you can compare the NBA, NFL, MLB, um, and NHL is sort of that lack of you know, calls against the, the established infrastructure, where it's, as you said, a lot of people putting their heads down, they're seeing stuff going on, they're seeing, you know, Kimo being called, you know, called all types of flagrant epithets and all that stuff. And they see the abuses that are happening at the junior levels and everyone just putting their heads down. And because that culture of complicity has allowed this to sort of perpetuate over time, it just makes it worse and worse. And I think my hope is that with all this stuff going on, this performance of the ally shift, where we're seeing corporate brands, well, because ultimately that's what it is at the end of the day. When dollars are affected, that is when that is when these brands and institutions make decisions.
1: The um, Washington Football Team yes. today.
0: Yes. You know, decades people said this is inappropriate. And you need to change it. You need to change it now. FedEx and Nike said they're going to pull out. A, you know, disassociate with that particular team. And now the team is taking that conversation much more seriously. And the
1: same thing should happen with the Chicago Hockey Team and the. Cleveland baseball team yes. <laughs> amongst others you know and possibly uh, the Kansas City football team right. and you know like the list goes on uh, the Edmonton CFL team right and you know like it, it's it's mind boggling in 2020 that we, we are still you know using though like uh, identities as uh, mascots right and more importantly even
0: with that is you know there's this veneer of well we're honoring those populations and we're doing that and i'm like where were those populations it, did you bring those populations into have a conversation not after the fact like you know or you know my team with the chicago hockey team uh the discussion around that and it's like yes what well, we're honoring the local tribes it's like well one i'm pretty sure they would prefer to still be around not honored but still to be like in, in control of their destinies more so than being honored by a hockey team like that's not yeah. that's not how you like perpetuate the legacy of, of those particular peoples and so that to me doesn't seem like a fair conversation it seems like well we're already here we just need someone to sign off from I mean, it from the you know that has a relationship with the community but it may not be the community a representative of the community as a whole and, on and, uh, yeah
1: and it's but, performative. It goes yeah. back to the whole thing, right? Yeah. It's 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 you know, well, oh we're doing this to honor it. Well, no, because people within those communities are telling you they're uncomfortable with it. Right. And and it's not okay. Yeah. And and I, I'm fairly certain that indigenous people aren't happy with being looked at as mascots or caricatures. Right. So you know we have to be better we have to be better as a society and and sport culture has to be better they have to be better with um or or don't pander by having hockey's for everyone right? correct you know like and and i in the media law, i've started to refer to it as having the parade before winning the cup right <laughs> And, and I think it's it's reality you're celebrating something that you haven't shifted within your own culture yet right how can you celebrate that if you haven't shifted it you know what I mean like I just don't understand that and I, and I think a key point to you know what I've seen from you know the
0: the things I've seen you say and other people as well is particularly with the hawk and actually want to get into this it, it is sort of bringing your authentic self to the ring, to your workplace, to, you know, your place of enjoyment and watching sport. And I, and I think in terms of hearing your story, but we'd love to hear more from you uh, in terms of how much of yourself you sort of had to leave behind to be able to sort of fit into this very, uh, you know, hyper-masculine girl culture of, you know, hockey as you were growing up and for, uh, you know, young people of the LGBTQ community, people of color, it's a very similar thing. And I wanted A's for you to sort of speak to is sort of how how that was for you, how you're seeing that change or if that's not changing and then what can be done to better support that. Because I think, to me, that's the number one thing. If you cannot bring your full authentic self to the sport of hockey, then hockey for, if hockey is for everyone. It is a
1: complete farce Um, and and You still can't. Yeah. You still can't on a number of levels. Um, I talk regularly about Dougie Hamilton. Yes. Dougie Hamilton is an elite NHL defenseman. My You're favorite. into analytics, are you not? Yeah. yeah analytics. Yeah. Is he an analytics darling? He, he's the best. Yes. He's my favorite player. Uh, in my uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dougie Hamilton's been traded twice right. in hockey because they say that he doesn't fit in. Correct. And the reasons he doesn't fit in include the fact that he likes to go to uh, give me one second. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so Dougie Hamilton is is a six foot five right hand shot defenseman who um, can skate, puts up points. He's an analytic starling. Yes. Dougie Hamilton has been traded twice because instead of going out drinking with the boys, he likes to go to museums and he likes to read and he's right. a quiet person who is um introverted yes that is deemed a negative within the culture right so let's start there so even as a straight white man who's elite in the sport if you don't completely conform to the culture you're you're seen as other and you're traded so hockey isn't for everyone otherwise that guy won't be traded twice so let's start there and then we go into you know um lgbtq plus people um there's a reason why nobody's out in the sport and there's a reason why from a young age you know they're they're not coming out or they're quitting and whatnot because it isn't inclusive for them it doesn't support them it's the the hyper masculinity of the sport forces you to conform fully to the culture right um as a gay man i i was a womanizer i um you know i was the cocky hockey bro right um because i had to be and i wasn't happy i was suicidal i drank daily i was injured all the time i went from being on nhl draft list to you know uh having a career that didn't compare to where I was supposed to be right and and all because of you know language i heard and behaviors and attitudes that i saw it didn't make me think i could myself and play this sport I love and I struggled a lot I was constantly injured I think I was had a season-ending injury from the age of 15 until I retired in my late 20s oh, every man. year yeah um, hockey got about 60 percent of my talent out of me and, and studies have shown even in corporate culture that by creating fostering an inclusive environment that allows people to be themselves they're more uh, they're happier right uh, employees are happier and a happier employee is a more productive employee it's just straight, like, like, yes. like studies have proved it over and over. It's social science, you know. Like, it's it's <laughs> been it's been proven. So to foster environments that you know aren't inclusive to a person of color or where they don't feel comfortable in a room because they or they have to conform fully to this idea of a white, you know, norm, social norm. Um, probably not getting the best out of those players right. um, for the queer kid they're not getting the most out of them because they have to pretend to be straight and hide who they are and they're unhappy and they're very depressed right so uh, the sport doesn't foster um, inclusion at any level it, it, it is set up solely for the straight white guy yep and uh, for him to succeed and that's predominantly who does and that's why we see so few uh, people of color make the NHL, let alone play the sport at any level. Yes, and why we see um, no representation of the LGBTQ+ plus community. Yeah, no, and,
0: and it, you know, interestingly enough, I'm actually working on a story. Uh, I believe you're from Sudbury. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Sudbury Wolves. Uh, Quentin Byfield. Uh, yes, for them. Uh, you know projected number two in the draft although his draft stock has been slipping for reasons unknown uh, to a lot of people in the community that i've talked to uh but uh is projected to be the highest ranked black player ever to, to go in the nhl draft um and one of the very few centers to ever play uh, one of the few black centers to play the position at a high level um and i was like that's very curious because centers are sort of you know in position hockey why is this the case that this you know is just Proportionally uh, underrepresented for for people of color, in particular, but in particular for black players. And so I've been researching that, looking into it, and looking even further down at juniors and Bantam and midget, and not finding a lot of examples there. And it's like there's something here going on. Um, and to your point, it it there's a trickle down effect of it, where as you said, if there's a talented player, but feels like hockey's not a welcoming community, maybe there's of support for me, or I'll get out of the sport altogether, or I don't want to invest as much time and effort and energy into this sport because I, I give so much to it and it takes so much from me that it's not worth it at the end of the day and that i presume that that is also happening across the board with the Q community as well where people are not able to fully invest in the sport as much as possible because of all these barriers and biases and abbre- not just microaggressions but just flat-out aggressions that happen on the Yeah. Regular basis. Um, it, 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 and it sounds like, from what you said around talking with people who are currently involved in the sport, young people that are coming up, they're
1: seeing this as well. Um, like, <laughs> well, well, look at the, you look at Byfield when the ISS rankings came out. Yes, they, they ranked the top five players. Uh, every, Byfield was ranked second. Everyone yeah. got a glowing review yes. in those rankings, except for Byfield. Yeah and whether it's an unconscious bias or not it's there's still a bias there right um and i i almost i started thinking just now when you mentioned that about centers and and i wonder if it's similar to the um the stereotyping and uh racism that exists in football around quarterbacks yep Uh and and uh, the responsibility of a center is very similar on the ice to a quarterback. Right. And and I wonder if there's some of that at play. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I actually think 100 percent that
0: that's it. Where it is the people I've talked I've talked to you, you know, some of professional players, uh, you know, retired players. Uh, I had a chance to talk with some people from. Uh, uh, I just recently talked with sorority Tinker from uh, uh, the. I forgot what seen, uh uh the Riverders. Uh, from yeah. the National Women's Hockey League, uh, she, she wants to, you know, like I did, uh, and we were talking about that. And I was asking her, like, how did she pick her position? Like, I was just trying to figure out, like, is there a filtering process? Is it because, you know, maybe, hey, I'm a big on the fan, and that's, uh, you know, wants to play the same position as him? Um, and, and talking with all these players, scouts, and coaches, everybody sort of had the same thing. Like when I showed them the stat, uh, the stat I said was out of uh, the past ten years, there's been about a thousand draft picks thirty uh, percent of draft picks overall have been centers uh, of the uh, around thirty-five plus uh, black players that have been drafted in that time frame. Only three, uh, two of them were centers, uh, which is six percent. So, talk about like a, a four or five x like decrease uh, for for black players, and, and, and I'm seeing that across the board for all and all populations. I don't have the data for the LGBTQ community, but well, you won't have any because none
1: are right. So, um, how how many? um do you have data as to how many like because i know an argument people say well it's only six percent because there's less black players correct uh but i would argue that the percentage of people who are of color that play the sport is higher than six
0: percent correct it, exactly yes and, and so i i think that's the it, it's a couple of other things so even talking to people who have brought that exact point up well you know because such a small population, if one or two more people are drafted as centers, then you know that that number goes away. And I'm like, oh well, one of the one of the reasons is that even players uh, that came in as centers, so Devontae Smith-Pelly was uh, uh, in uh, Central Scotland rankings, came in as a center, was shifted to right wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Evander Kane was shifted from center to to the wing, and all that. And so you sort of see even at the NHL level, you see sort of shifting of that. And then and- the second, oh, okay, go ahead oh no, no no second part yeah sorry the second part of that you know example i gave was uh about the national you know where the masters is held every year like hey we treat all of our members equally but there's just no women allowed in, in you know <laughs> on our greens like so even if there is a bias due to uh that may be wiped out due to small numbers the fact that the small numbers exist in the first place uh shows me that something needs to be fixed uh and and, and from what i've seen is at the much lower levels um and it only sort of exacerbates from there and i think i see that with Biases across the board, you know, against women playing the sport, against you know, just people who are different. You know, we talked a bit about the analytics community and the sort of barriers that have come up there. It's just a perpetuation of biases that exists, particularly at the lower levels of sport where the coaches and the, the have more power. Um, but there's just all these things that create keep hockey
1: from being as great of a sport as it can be. And and to that point, those biases, like you even look at. You know players of color and how they're treated when something isn't um there's almost as like you have to be perfect right you have to be perfect with your on ice and your off ice right um you know if you look at like pk yes pk is a prime example of that where You know he's he's a bigger like a larger than life personality and 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 especially not maybe in the mainstream like he's he's a big personality but he's a huge personality in hockey right and then to be of color i think that villainized him right um and and it was unjust and unfair like how many players donated 10 million dollars to a children's um charity and um you know, I'm sorry, my dog's, uh, <laughs> no worries. She's, I'm home alone with her and she's decided to enter the conversation, so I apologize. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, but how many, you know, people have donated that much money to charity and, and right. yet people are, were critical and he just basically ran right out of Montreal? Yeah. Um, uh, Josh Hosang, how many players have missed an alarm? Right. And then he does it and then he's villainized yes and he was villainized in junior before that yes and 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 it happens within marginalized groups and and players of color where that happens and anything they do is if they do something wrong it's an extreme negative whereas a white player does the same thing wrong it's uh less so and i think we even see it uh with lgbtq plus just um there's less examples because, um, they're not visible, but even presumed to be like, you look at Sean Avery. Yeah. Sean Avery by all accounts is a jerk, right? (laughs) You know, he does a lot of shitty things. Um, was a jerk in junior hockey was a jerk. Uh, I've talked to people that coached him in minor hockey. He's been the same person all the way through. Right. He was beloved in Detroit. Right, beloved those veterans, Eisenman and all them. Treated him like so well. Right, I mean, wasn't it Brett hall that gave him a contract in Dallas at the end? Yeah, like people loved him in Detroit. Same antics he did in as he did in New York with the Rangers. The difference being, when he was in New York, uh, he did an internship with Vogue. Yep, and then he started becoming friends with Andy Cohen. Yep people assumed he was gay yep there was rumors about his sexuality flying around because of what he was doing and who he was hanging out with and all of a sudden those same antics that he was beloved for he was villainized for right like he made that alicia cuthbert comment yes but he made those comments well before (laughs) that and then that one villainized him yeah And, and and the only difference was people thought he was gay right and and so there was a whether it was conscious or unconscious, there was a bias there that led to people treating him differently. Right, and and it's the same thing as how people of color, visible minorities, are treated within the sport, and it's the same thing how the, my community feels in the sport. Right, and and it's you know there's the there's a lot of overlap in in that sense within it and and whether it's overt or subtle in terms of the discrimination and the you know aggressions whether they're micro or or you know full-on aggressions they exist
0: right
1: and and uh, until they're gone hockey isn't for everyone (laughs) and and but it even like i was saying to you before it even exists within the analytics community the analytics community was treated as you're not hockey people, you're a bunch of nerds. Right. You're, you're, you know, you're just number geeks. And I've right. heard that, I've heard that so often from hockey people. Right. And, and there was so much judgment and, and like hatred towards it almost. And right. they were treated the same way as minorities in the sport. Right. You know, analytics people have been treated shitty by the sport of hockey. they've they've just kind of forced their way in and then people realize wow it'll make my team better i get more knowledge and i'll make more money in front of this so we need them but we need them a little bit off to the side and um you know they're not in every conversation and some of them have a team of two and some of them have you know but then you have more progressive gms like Cheka and, and um mm-hmm. and yeah. a few guys that you know have more yeah and have full teams but it's it's still at that point i i bet it's even more interesting for you like how does a, a black man in analytics in the whitest sport in the world exist and operate in it like that's got to <laughs> be challenging
0: uh i mean i think it's yeah no uh, thanks for asking that question um I think for me, I think it's a combination of things. So I think one, uh, you know, uh, if you follow my Twitter personality, I'm very competitive. Conversat- I had like a Napoleon complex. I played football and basketball. Growing up, I was like five, five, like 100, 110 pounds, like different weight. Um, and so I was always, you know, I just had to develop like a thick skin um, over time. But, you know, I've also, uh, it was also like having my like academic bowl team. Uh, so I had to learn how to navigate between like different communities. Um mm-hmm. I found this- uh, 76% Latino, but I was the only black kid in all of my classes. Uh, and so I had to learn how to navigate like these different spaces. And, you know, you talk about the code switch and, you know, I can turn on my African-American vernacular, but uh, then also, you know, talk about uh, the analytics and, you know, PDO and, and you know, relative 4 um in, in the same sentence. And so I think that helped. But with that being said, I think there is a sort of, you know, sort of what you were alluding to, there is a requirement to be, uh, to present yourself in a way that is acceptable to the community. I cannot come fully out and be 100% my full self in a uh, analytics conference, you know, uh, you know, I can't, you know, at the word do to, you know, sort of control my hair. I can't wear that to the analytics conference because that creates too much of a negative persona. Uh, and so I think for, for me, it has been helpful to sort of have that experience and then also have a helpful community. My, my wife has been very supportive, it took a lot of convincing to get her to that point, but I started bringing her with me. Um, and then she started to understand that um, and then working with the community that I do with hockey Grass, which is you know, run by a, a woman of color, um, uh, who has, which has led to people of color um, and, and women being hired in analytics positions that were previously you know, unheard of, uh, particularly within hockey. Uh, you know that's been helpful to sort of see other people do it, and my commitment has always been. You now I'm a little bit older now. You know, I probably don't plan on getting a job in hockey and stuff like that. I, you know, I'm happy with my day-to-day job, but I want to open the doors that were not open for me 10, 15 years ago when I started doing this. Um, there just was no avenue for this. I really was in the. I didn't have a conversation about hockey with anyone in person until I was 26. Uh, like Uh-oh. And so it's, it's sort of, you know, those sort of things. And so now anytime I see an individual where I can help and sort of pay the way for like that to me is what sort of keeps me going in the sport. And so I think like, you know, as I said, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you in particular is because I think, you know, there is a, you know, even in The Athletic, recently this week, they ran a conversation saying, hey, let's ask the LGBTQ community about, you know, ways that hockey can improve in the black community and so on and so forth. I'm like is there a way for ourselves to have those conversations together and have a united front? You know, we, we know that hockey sort of oriented towards a cis, uh, cisgender white male, um, and everyone is
1: sort of getting there, but it doesn't have to
0: be a zero-sum game. How do we sort of come together on that?
1: Uh, I think, yeah, I think there's there's there could be a united front. I think the biggest hurdles are um, there's homophobia in the black community and there's racism in the right, gay community. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think, you know, our, our own houses have to fix themselves a little bit before we can um, do that. Or maybe it takes people like us to come together and hopefully, you know, bridge those gaps and those divides within both and, and engage with people within our own to improve while also coming together to shift others right you know and and i think you know those things can happen simultaneously but it it definitely needs to happen because there's there's enough minorities out there whether it be you know people of color women uh lgbtq plus who who want to be involved in sports or hockey and and can't and i've always felt what you're saying that if we came together and and didn't you know try to look at tears of oppression? I get that it exists, like, right. but just said, yeah, we all experience some form of oppression, and if we just come together and recognize that and work together to shift it, right. we'd be a stronger a, a united front is is a stronger front, and it's also a um, a, uh, a stronger numbers, right. You know having more numbers will lead to like the more voices we have doing it the, the more likely it is and you know me screaming on every media that there's homophobia or or you know the five people who get interviewed about racism like right. it's just and and then sexism isn't even brought up half the time anymore and it's right. like Still running rampant. We've seen from, you know, DM conversations between NHL players and, you know, uh, yeah. recently, like COVID's exposed a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, if, if we just like, if we did come together, yeah, the power in numbers would be incredible. Right. It would be so wild. But I, I think there's, there's, you know, again, It would take everyone taking the time to learn and engage and letting down and and guards and defenses that have been built up because of years of forms of oppression and, you know, um, understanding our own privileges and understanding, you know, that uh, we're going to make mistakes along the way, but uh, we may not always say the right thing to each other and there's going to be times where we might be you know uh wrong but that um we are always eager to learn and grow and evolve and and we're willing to accept criticism and we're willing to criticize and hopefully in a way that's constructive and more engaging than than just every one of us being pissed off at one another and <laughs> yelling. And then I think at that point, then yeah, it would be powerful. It'd be so damn powerful. Right. Um and and it would outnumber the voices that are gatekeeping us out of the community. Right. You know, out of the hockey world. And and ultimately I think our goal is to be in hockey and to feel equal. And I think you know, I use an analogy of a restaurant. Um, as minorities in hockey, we feel like we're we're standing outside the restaurant. Right. Whereas the traditional hockey people are sitting down in the restaurant eating. Yes. We don't want to take their tables. We just also want to eat. Right. <laughs> you know, give us a table. Right. Share your table. Yeah, put the tables together, you know. (laughs) You're still going to eat, but let us eat, too. Right. You know, it was perplexing to me. I had uh, a major hockey association sit down with me in January, and they wanted me to sit on their board of directors. And I haven't fully let this out yet um, because I am so vocal and and I do a lot of mainstream media. Mm -hmm. I have to watch what I say and when I say it. (laughs) Uh, But... I had this 60 year old straight white guy who works as an executive for a major corporate um I'm sitting down with him and within the first three minutes of sitting down he looked at me and told me that in today's society he's a minority <laughs> okay <laughs> and then he made racist and sexist and just bigoted comments throughout right. our entire conversation and then then looked at me and told me, he goes, I don't think you're right for this board of directors because I think your your views are too narrow, like you're too focused on LGBTQ only. Right. And like, you realize you haven't asked me once what my views are and what I <laughs> think. Right. And, and I left there just so disgusted. But that is where the culture's at and that's what people don't realize. Right. That is, the, those are the powerful voices within the culture saying those things to me. Right. and if if they're gonna if they if they feel like they have enough armor to say that to me right what are they saying amongst each other correct right. it's terrifying
0: it, it's it, it, and this is the thing and I'm glad you pointed that out because I've said that many times that for me in particular as a black man in society I almost feel more comfortable in a, a situation like that where someone is explicit, with their beliefs and their biases with you because i can at least see that and understand why things are the way they are versus when people are like i don't know i don't, I don't know where that came from and
1: something is happening but no one knows the answer why uh, it's it's funny and i find that um in canada we're more the latter yes um we're polite to your face right but we're as bigoted behind your back yeah whereas america is far more over correct You know somebody doesn't like you if somebody is anti if they're racist or homophobic it's straight to your face right and i prefer that right (laughs) i would rather know straight up you know how you see things instead of being polite to my face because we're polite in canada and that's why i think hockey is the way it is because it it's um you know it's it it embodies a lot of canadiana yeah and and vice versa canadiana uh, you know Embodies a lot of hockey, so I think that's why you know, like we're we're not overt about it, but right. that's why it's so problematic within it, because it's you know behind your back. Yeah, and,
0: and, I, and I think like you know to that point, uh, you know, and I said this on the podcast earlier this week. Uh, to me, it is you see it with the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement. And even I had to be convinced by people who have been more involved in the process over time of uh, the importance of the movement, the approach and all that. Um, you know, Fortunately, or unfortunately, because this is sort of repeats of incidents that have happened prior, I was having this conversation in 2015, 2016, uh, but even I had had friends sort of tell me, sort of inform me of like, what I was misunderstanding about the movement and sort of what changes it was making and the impact it was having. And what I explained to someone else was, I think there's a domino effect going on where you know me you know talking with you know someone a writer for you know the athletic or uh, the hockey graphs or uh, the hockey writers or whoever it may be ESPN mm-hmm. you know that person may have more influence with the hockey executive than I will on my Twitter account because you know I'm just screaming out into the void but you know maybe that hockey executive will reach out to another hockey executive and do that but that has to be as you said we have to have a seat at the table. I, I've been a very big advocate against the word diversity in terms of, it, it, it's important in terms of just a societal thing, but in terms of corporate responsibility, I actually hate the term because uh, it's saying like, you know, New Year's resolution, hey, I want to get healthier versus I want to lose five pounds. There's no goals, there's no sort of accountability to it. You know, obviously about like proportionality, <coughs> like I would much rather have much better representation and, and proportional like representation in the sport of the population of Canada then you know just saying diversity because that doesn't hold anyone accountable but I think the only way to get there is that sort of dominant fact and I think we're starting to see
1: it but it's still so far away and and it leads to box ticking like the token yes. gay employee or the token black employee yes. or whatever and now right now like I've been telling uh, people of color who I, I engage with or who come to me online and they're like yeah my corporate is putting together, uh, you know, a new diversity committee and they asked me to sit on it. I'm like, you're getting paid, right? Yeah. Well, no, they asked me to do it for free. I said, yeah, that that in itself is the issue. Yes. It's their problem that they're getting you to fix for free. Exactly. Yeah. That in itself is essentially a microaggression. Yeah. And, and, and it happens to me even at the NHL level where they come to me for stuff constantly and it's like, okay, let's, well, you're using me as a consultant. Okay. Let's, let's formulate. (laughs) Yeah. I'm happy to do it. I can guide you. I can make your messaging better because it needs it, but pay me. Right. Then they disappear (laughs) until they want something else and then they come back and it happens over and over. And I, I got to the point where it's like, no, I'm done either engage with me and treat me the way, you know, like, res- like, treat me the way I should be treated. Right. Or just don't engage with me at all. Right. You know, because that isn't in- diversity and inclusion. That is using. Exploitation. I mean, that's... Yeah, completely. And, and, and that's not okay. And, yeah. And quite honestly, like, I've become, like, I'm so inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. And I didn't understand it either, and I still don't fully un- understand all aspects of it. Right. I'm trying to engage more and more with it. Um, just because, like, I, I want to know, you know, like, game plans and, like, strategy beyond right. the marches and, and the visibility and what the plan is. because. I want to learn and I want to share and I want to be a part and, and, you know, be on the right side of history and, 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 you know, if, and I keep saying, you know, for my life to matter, black lives have to matter Um, because as easily as black people today feel, you know, or are disproportionately treated, you know, uh, with brutality by police or murdered or anything else, well my uh, my minority community could be next. Right. As easily. Yeah. You know, so so even if people don't get it, even from a selfish standpoint, just recognize you could easily be next. Right. That that white woman who's sitting there complaining, guess what? There was a point in time in society where you didn't have the right to vote. Right. You were seen as a second class citizen. That could be you next. Right. You know what I mean? So this, this it, as much as it's currently about Black lives and, and them mattering, um, it, it could easily become the next group and the yeah. next group. Yeah. And if we don't band together, like you're saying, in the hockey community, but in, in society as a whole, we will be the next group. We will all be the group. And we'll go back to where society was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean,
0: yeah. And I think, like... We're getting there, uh, you know. You know, there's progress, but you know, progress isn't enough. You know, we need to results. We need to see more than promises and you know, campaigns and all that stuff. We need to see, you know, people. You know, people are dying. You know, one. So it's, it's serious across. You know, in sport, out out of sport, as you said. You know, they've been just very damaging activities that happen within the sport of hockey not just within hockey across sports altogether. but this is a hockey podcast that's our area of focus but until we can come together uh, uh, understand what is wrong about this come together as these collective communities but then also identify our alleys within the sort of uh, you know the communities in power as well and and we're starting to see more of that like that's the only way we can sort of uh, push this change forward but is it constant pressure is not it you know, bigotry and bias are not confined to the months of uh, June and February. And so yes. not only have these conversations
1: in June and February as a result. And and we need engagement year-round, and, and we need to continue to engage with allies within to um, have conversations with their straight, white, you know, teammates to yep. also become allies. Yep and to stand up and be anti-racist and anti-homophobia, um, not just be, you know, not right. racist or not homophobic. We need, um, we need people to learn. Um, I think there's, there's something about, uh, as a white man, I think I can easily say this without offending anyone, I think we're taught from a young age to fix problems,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we want to be the alpha and we want to be the one to shift it. And and um, so we think, okay, well, I'll fix it. Right. And and so then you have white people trying to fix racism instead of learning and listening. Correct. And and amplifying, right. and sharing when it's time to share and being a silent you know person listening when it's time to listen it's it's just you know how we've been taught and brought up and ingrained in us and it's learning that it's the same thing you know when when i should speak as an ally to the trans community and when i should be you know amplifying others voices and and learning those types of things as you know assists white gay man. Um, so the same thing can be said here and it's learning when and where to speak and i've seen times where people have good intentions (laughs) and are speaking up in places where well you probably shouldn't have said that thing right you know and and it's but again that's about learning and engaging with them and and guiding them because it's a new experience for everybody right you know
0: yeah yeah no and and i think that you know we're starting to see that we're starting to recognize that you know at a certain point you want to yeah you know, I think there was a, a tiff a few weeks ago with like Tyler second and then uh, uh, you know quickly to, to wrap it up the example I give is uh, to speak to some points that you said it's not enough to be anti-racist it's not enough to be uh, it's not enough to be like I'm not racist, I'm not homophobic. It, you have to be anti uh, and so I use the examples break down in hockey terms a plus minus. minus is you engaging in those activities racism, homophobia. Uh, you know misogyny are you seeing that and not saying anything that you know that's a minus in your ledger. Um educating yourself is even, you know, you've done, you know, the bare minimum to sort of get yourself up. But a lot of people are at, at a deficit and so to get into the plus category, you need to actively go out and sort of make change, sort of address the concern, make it better for people coming after you. Um that is the only way you can do it. And I see a have seen a lot of people getting credit for doing the bare minimum of educating themselves.
1: Of, and what did beforehand, yeah. And credit from. Uh, what bugs me is when I see in my community people within the community just uh, because our community has been like, the LGBTQ plus community has been oppressed and has been because our, um, being a queer person is very unique in the sense that, um, our, queerness is isn't visible. Sure. So it's a unique. Um, whereas you know, like growing up as a person of color, yeah, you probably had people in your life who could you know explain and guide you through the racism that right. you're going to experience in society. Right. Growing up as a queer person, um, we're we we do not have those role models in our lives. We have people that we hope have empathy. Correct. Right. Um, but we're looking for acceptance from that. So we're constantly seeking out acceptance. So I see a lot of that and I'm starting to see it even here with uh people thanking white hockey players for posting. And it's like, you know, about Black Lives Matter. And I see it when we have Pride Nights and everyone's happy that somebody used rainbow tape and and, and, (laughs) and and made a comment about or pride or something and they're thanking them. And I'm like, that's like you're you're just seeking acceptance so desperately that you're not even you know it's great to acknowledge it but when you're so happy that the nhl has hockey for everyone or or that a player views pride tape in a warm-up not even in a game and and all these things i'm like like that's not that's not equality right that's not inclusion that that is the least the bare minimum and we shouldn't accept that as you know as minority people
0: yeah yeah
1: no i'm 100 aligned well yeah
0: i'm hoping that uh one thank you so much for coming on uh today it's been an amazing of course. Um, i'm super excited about one uh putting together this, uh this article sort of exposing the biases and uh drafting and development because i think this will sort of put numbers to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today and i think that's one of the things that always helps uh, with that sort of how 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 can you quantify this sort of bias people don't really believe it until they see it and, and sort of uh a hear their stories about it i'm glad i've been able to talk to people about uh, things like this and sort of hear their stories but then also the data to back it up to make it irrefutable to the people who wouldn't be willing to listen uh, but more importantly i think as we said the importance of having these conversations across these sort of silos of of uh, you know, minority groups and affinity groups, and uh, you know the different levels of oppression and bias that we face. I think it's so important to push the sport collectively forward. And so, I really thank you for taking time to respond to me uh, and having this conversation with me today. Um, and, and really
1: wishing you uh, the best of luck going forward with all this stuff that you're doing. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. And and I hope you're keeping well. I know it's been <laughs> a very um, emotional time. And, yeah, and it's been something that I can't even fathom. So um, I hope you're, you know, keeping well and getting some sleep with the newborn. Trying um, to. <laughs> yeah, but after after you're done, you know, quantifying things within, you know, what you're studying right now, we should talk about looking at numbers of LGBTQ plus populations versus yes. people who play the sport and why. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah,
0: and I think like my goal is, as I said, to start to start a larger conversation, because like it's not just a, you know my day-to-day work. I'm not just sharing numbers or whatever. I'm trying to affect change and trying to get people to cool. take sort of action. Uh, so it's the same thing. But uh, yeah, definitely would love to keep the conversation going. Uh, you know, thank you once again for for joining us today and thanks, to us.